Welcome to the Gateworld Podcast. You are listening to episode number 52 of the Gateworld Podcast. I'm Darren. I'm David. And this is the show where two nerds talk about Stargate. Today we're back on SG-1 History. We're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 7 in our main discussion. Plus, we have a new interview preview for podcast listeners. This one is with Christina McQuarrie, costume designer for Stargate SG-1 and Atlantis. And as a very special bonus this week, we have a little preview nugget from the new Big Finish audio drama titled Impressions with actor Kevin Smith. Plus, we have Stargate news and new additions to Gate World to talk about as usual before we get to Season 7. So let's do it. Let's do it. Stargate News. Here are your headlines from GateWorld for July 22nd, 2009. As we've talked about, the Stargate Atlantis Fans Choice release is coming to Blu-ray High Definition in just a few days now on August 4th. But what we've learned recently from MGM and Fox Home Entertainment, who put out the official press release for this, is that they currently do not have any plans to do any more episodes of Atlantis on Blu-ray. This is kind of a surprise. We're hoping to get on the horn with Fox here in the coming days and get the skinny on this. Yeah, I've been waiting for this news to come out for a long time. I've uh, known about this for some time now and knew that when the crap hit the fan, it wasn't going to be pretty. I can tell you right now, there's a very good reason. They're just not saying, well, Stargate isn't good enough and we're not going to do it because we don't think it'll sell. That is not the reason at all. Yeah, I offer a little bit of speculation in the news story, which you can find now on GateWorld. Uh, issues relating to the DVD market and and, uh, what's going on with that, but we do want to hear some words straight from Fox. Uh, In the meantime, do look for Stargate Atlantis Fans Choice on Blu-ray. This one has extended versions of Rising, the Atlantis pilot movie, and Enemy at the Gate, the series finale. So, as we've talked about in the past, this is bookends. First episode, last episode. It's on Blu-ray on August 4th. If you do want to see more Stargate on Blu-ray in the future, I suggest you pick this one up. Bo Bridges has been nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Guest Actor in a Comedy Series. His role of Eli Boggs in Desperate Housewives, the episode Best Thing That Ever Could Have Happened, has received an Emmy nod. As well as Sanctuary, they have picked up an Emmy nomination for Outstanding Special Visual Effects for a Series for their pilot episode, Sanctuary for All. This is awesome news. Yeah, it's great news. Congratulations to Bo and to the Sanctuary VisFX people. And we have new details this week on Joe Flanagan's upcoming appearance on the Sci-Fi Channel series Warehouse 13. This show just premiered a few weeks ago on Sci-Fi. It's doing really great in the ratings. The ratings came out for week two, and they were almost identical to week one. They held almost 100% of their audience, which is crazy good. But uh, Joe is going to appear in the August 4th episode titled Elements, playing a character named Jeffrey Weaver. Uh, If you want to know more about the plotline for that episode and look at a few pictures of Joe, we've got those now on the website. Gateworld Features. We have hundreds of photos of the Destiny set tour now in the Gateworld Gallery. Yep. These are credited as uh, straight out of the 3D virtual tour of the Destiny, which you can see at stargate.mgm.com. That's where you want to go if you want to see the original stuff. If you want quick snapshots, if you're looking for an image of the gate to use in your form signature or something like that, then then we pulled out some nice ones. Did you take screenshots with this? There are screenshots, but the the virtual tour on the official website is so good uh, based on Mm high-res photography that 
my screenshots look like photos. Yeah, they do. So those guys did a great job with uh, the virtual tour. We thank them for sharing their goodies. Last week on the Friday Five, we looked at Funny Man Tilk, Tilk's best one-liners, funniest jokes. Number five is from the end of Emancipation in season one when Tilk says, what is an Oprah? This is not necessarily Tilk cracking jokes. This is Tilk's a fish out of water. A lot of it is, yeah, fish out of water. Except um, for one. One of them is actually telling a joke with a punchline. So that was last Friday on the five, and then this coming Friday, we're going to be looking at the best of Todd, our favorite Todd the Wraith episodes. Last week on DVD special features in the Gate World Gallery, we added seasons three and four, if I'm not mistaken. You're going to have to forgive me. My Microsoft uh, Word is broken, so I can't open it and see. But what's just out this week is season five DVD special features for region one uh, of uh, Stargate SG-1. And uh, if you're in Region 2 or beyond, and some of those are missing from that gallery, look in the complete series, and you may find the screen captures for the feature that you are thinking of, particularly uh, Tara Rothery and Don S. Davis video diaries. Brand new on the site and brand new this week on DVD is Children of the Gods Final Cut. We've been waiting for this one for... Boy, it's been about... A year and a half. A year and a half since uh, co-creator Brad Wright told us that he was doing this. He went back and uh, recut, re-edited Children of the Gods, the original SG-1 pilot. It's been released as a DVD now, and our review is up on the website, uh, complete with some screen captures, some details on what's been added, what's been cut, or uh, if you consider that info to be spoilery, you can just uh, skip past those pages and go straight to the conclusions and see what we thought about this release. You can. I'm going to be very interested to see what Jonathan Glasner feels about this release. We're going to be talking to him very soon. I shall reveal right here. That'll be cool. You know, one of the things uh, that uh, I loved about the Children of the Gods Final Cut release is uh, after 12 years, it gives us some some really interesting insight into the production of the show when it was first getting going. Some of the politics that were involved between Brad and Jonathan, who were the co-creators, uh, and MGM, and the president of MGM Television at the time was Jonathan Symes. And uh, Brad talks about that a bit on the commentary track, and it's some really interesting stuff. So look for the review on GateWorld.net, and then head out to your local store or over to Amazon and pick up Stargate HD1, Children of the Gods, Final Cut. Expect an interview with Christina McQuarrie, who was the costume designer for Stargate SG-1 10 seasons and Stargate Atlantis for a number of years. I spoke with her earlier this week. Delightful lady. We talked for a half hour. Really insightful. She's one of the ones that I've been looking forward to talking to for a long time. You're going to notice a a chain of a lot of behind the scenes with the with the crew of the Stargate franchise over the next few weeks. We've already started it with uh, Mark Savella. Obviously, this week, John Lennock. Next week, Christina. And we're going to keep going with that for a little while. We've done so many cast interviews, mm-hmm. and a lot of them seven and eight times. And these are people who are very critical to the puzzle, whom I have overlooked and not put a lot of focus in uh, talking with since I started interviewing this franchise five years ago. So um, we are doing that now in this uh, dead spot between Atlantis and Universe. I'm very happy about that. Man, they have they have some fascinating stuff to say. 
Well, our interviews archive is deep enough now that, that we ought to be getting to these people and also to some of the guest stars that we've only seen a few times. When you first started doing interviews back in the day, you were doing significant guest actors like Brad Greenquist and Anna Grauer. Those were some of my, my favorite interviews because, I mean, we love the main cast, but we get to know them so well. So it's it's our chance to sort of, I don't know, over the years, the the interview archive, I think, in Gate World is is becoming a, a history of Stargate archive. Mm-hmm. So those folks need to be in it. And finally this week we have a special preview of Impressions. This is the newest Stargate Atlantis audio drama that is now available from Big Finish Productions. Impressions stars Kevin Smith as Major Lorne and actor Nicholas Briggs as Dr. David Glennie. Here's the teaser. It's, it's, it's so beautiful. All the colors, the, the, the shapes, it's, it's, like, it's like magic. It's like magic and, and sounds, and I, I, I can see sounds. I can, I, can, I can hear light. Oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, God. So you looked at the pictures one by one, building up the impressions they gave you, and then you looked at this picture of your sister and her kids and remembered that day, and it clicked. Yep. So tell me. Everybody move back! Now! Get away from the controls. You too, Colonel Shepard. So help me God. I will shoot you. I'm here at the request of Colonel Carter. She wants an independent assessment of your mental state. Light and shade. Color and form. That's how I try to see the world. The boundaries between one thing and another. The distinctions. Anybody who carries a gun in the name of peace needs to be comfortable with shades of gray. What did you perceive? Thoughts. Thoughts? Whose thoughts? Cities. Atlantises. I have a pretty cool head. I couldn't do this job if I didn't, but I panicked. I don't know why. I started trying to explain to everyone that I was fine, even though I knew I wasn't. It was like I was watching myself from a distance, thinking, whoa... Trust me, if you're not insane now, you will be after 20 years in solitary. Shall we start? That's Impressions, starring Kevin Smith, and you can look for it now at bigfinish.com. It's available on CD or by online download. The main discussion. Our main discussion topic this week is the seventh season of Stargate SG-1. Before we get into that, uh, it just dawned on me, I forgot. I received an email earlier today uh, from uh, someone in the forum saying, you know, I listened to your to your comments about the, the, the trailer for Stargate Universe and how you were saying it was kind of mediocre. Is that how you're feeling that this new show is going to be? Are, are you not absolutely psyched about it? Mm-hmm. Have I been nothing but harping on this entire show since the first moment I heard about it? I mean, have, have I not... Have I not properly conveyed just how excited I am for this new show that is coming out? And the you first have. time that I have in the, the, the first point in, in the entire running advertising of this show that I have done, the first time <laughs> that I say that I have the slightest bit of, meh, it's good, but not amazing. The first time that I do that, someone says, how can you not be absolutely thrilled about this show how how can you possibly say that it's the politics of it all this is going to be fascinating over the next couple of months as the stargate universe fans separate themselves from the stargate atlantis fans 
I mean, if I could be salivating any more up until this point, the moment I stop salivating and I get trampled on, I just, I just, I love, I think it's amazing. I love that trailer. That trailer got me really psyched. So I was actually kind of surprised when you reacted the way that you did. Well, only because I knew that the entire gate would spin. You and I have known that. Um, And I forgot that when we were talking about that trailer last week. And it only dawned on me when I was editing. You know, it's the first time that it's that's shown the entire gate is spinning. I missed that opportunity, and that was something that I that I ne- neglected to put into that. So right. that's my fault. But come on, guys. <laughs> Poor David. Ugh. I can't wait until the premiere airs, and we're like, mm, yeah, that was pretty good. So season seven. Season seven aired from two thousand three to two thousand four on the Sci-Fi Channel, and this was SG-1's last year as uh, the only Stargate show on the air. Atlantis comes along next season. Thank you, Mr. Wizard. Yes, it was a interesting season. Uh, not my favorite. It has some very high points and some mediocre low points. Uh, I've been looking forward to discussing this one. I've watched most of the episodes of Season 7 this past week. Good, good. I rewatched a few of them before I had to pack up my, my uh, box set for the big move, which is just a little over a week away. But um, if you want to see at a glance the episodes that we're going to be talking about, head over. If you're sitting in front of your computer, head over to gateworld.net slash SG1 slash S7. What's your favorite episode from Season 7? Is that a fair place to start? Heroes is my favorite episode for Season 7. I have several members of my family in the military. My father is ex-military. So I feel the pull of service, and I respect the role of our armed forces and the service they give us, the protection that they give us. Yeah, there's a great feeling throughout Heroes in that in that every episode that comes before this, the 150. six and a half seasons of episodes that come before this, there's a feeling that, you know, it's it's kind of... Uh, the characters are archetypes, and they're... they're Nobody can really die. Nobody's really at risk. Even Daniel, when when he got killed off, he didn't really die, and then he came back. The entire um, Abidonian civilization. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a sense of of a bit of uh, the invincibility. A bit of, as much as Stargate SG One is is supposed to be us. It's it's set here and now, so it feels very familiar. Uh, there's there's also a, a sense that it's it's very. I don't know. Hollywood is not the right right word. It's 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 entertainment. Your main characters don't get killed off. When there's a Naquita enriched asteroid heading for Earth and Jack O'Neill has to cut five wires <laughs> in the correct sequence and he does it, suspension of disbelief they're is all very the same hard. Color. And they're all the same color. Heroes brings it down to the ground. It brings it yeah. back down to Earth again. So it's not just the fact that uh, one of our most beloved characters gets killed off in Heroes. It's it's the way that everybody deals with it. It's seeing Sam, uh, you know, through the hallways crying, keeping the camera out of her face. It's it's seeing Daniel sitting quietly in a darkened room. Um, we don't see the other characters act like this, and it's so real. Mm-hmm. Masterful performance by Saul Rubinek in this episode. One of the greatest guest actors uh, of all time, in my opinion, I have loved that man. I've loved watching that man for years now, uh, mm-hmm. and man, he mops up the floor. He does a great job. This was uh, originally going to be uh, kind of a lighter episode, the alternate perspective episode. Uh, he's a journalist doing a documentary film on on Stargate Command for later release, sometime years down the road when the Stargate program goes public. They've got this film to show, um, and it 
it was something that they were going to shoot kind of off and on throughout the course of the season, and it just grew and grew and grew. And Saul was mopping up the floor with his performance, and they decided to expand it to a two-part episode, and then they decided to to have this this major character death here. Um, but I actually I don't have military service in my immediate family, but I I was a student of journalism in college, so I actually really relate to Saul Rubinick's character Emmett Bregman in this, in terms of wanting to get the story, wanting uh, you know the freedom of information, truth will out. Yeah, his speech uh, after he misses an interview with Carter, I believe every word of, and I, I agree with it very much. And it's hard to swallow sometimes, but uh, I think he's awfully right. And my father, you know, watching this episode with me, uh, my father has a, a hard time watching it at, at, in this regard um, because he says this this is not how it would happen. He says they would they would be, try to be as open as possible with this man to pre- to prevent this. Ex- exact thing from happening his his rants his his feeling like he's being cut off and shaping the film to be, to correspond with with that emotion they would not yeah, want right. to feel um cut out of, of major decision i mean he's not even able to film an active wormhole for crying out loud so uh but to but for dramatic effect and for a television show i absolutely understand that it's necessary and it made a, a, a darned fantastic 84 minutes of tv Hi, this is Alan from the UK again. I uh, just want to say I love the show and I'm calling about season seven. Um, favorite episode has to be the Heroes two-parter. Um, obviously for the passion and the pathos of the show, but also because of Adam Baldwin's really understated performance. What do you think of the decision to kill off Janet Frazier? It's tough. It was very hard uh, when I when I found that out. Once again, spoilers couldn't get away from them. There was no way that I was going to be, be able to m- miss that one. Ultimately, years later, I think it was the right call, though, because people yeah. are still talking about that episode of this day. What about you? It seems like it was it was kind of a safe decision when you expect that the show is only going to run for another four episodes after Heroes. Once again, they thought, I think more so than seasons five and season six, they thought that season seven was the last of the show uh, when they were writing this. But, you know, even not knowing that the show was going to go on for another three years after this, mm-hmm. it's... You know, Janet Frazier is was a, a fantastic character and was never replaced. All the mm-hmm. attempts that they made uh, at at casting new doctors for Stargate Command and props to to all those actors and the work that they did. Either they didn't do a satisfactory effort on someone's opinion, or they got pregnant and couldn't be in the episodes. I think Lexa Duig's Carolyn Lamb was was uh, certainly a character with a lot of potential, but she didn't have a whole lot of time on the series. She didn't have a whole lot of focus. And um, you know she she had some some good episodes and then she and then she went off and had a baby and wasn't around a whole lot wasn't in season available. ten. <laughs> so you know you can't replace Janet Frazier and you can't replace Terrell Rothery. So it left a, a significant hole and it left a hole that was very visible throughout the rest yeah. of the series. Yeah. Yeah. But it was very it was a very powerful moment and it made for for some of SG One's best for sure. So that was your favorite too? No, no, that was your favorite. Awesome. My favorite episode of season seven is far and away Lost City. Excellent. The two part season finale. This is the movie. This is the movie. This is SG one at its best. I mean, I think we, we went back and took the very best of the show uh, when it was at its high point. You, you take elements like the ancient repository out of the fifth race. 
You've got our big super bad guy. You've got uh, space battles and uh, Braytax in there and introducing new characters. This is when we first met Elizabeth Weir. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had uh, a new president and Hammond being relieved of command. And this is is epic, SG-1. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely my second favorite. So we picked Heroes and Lost City as our favorites, and of course, lots of fans agree that these are the high points of the season. Let's read some mail. Cole Aga says, I'm probably in the minority, but in my opinion, Season 7 is the weakest of the first eight. My main problems are lack of team, strange Jack's absences, which go unexplained, and a very poorly and classlessly handled exit of Jonas. We'll talk about that in a minute. My favorite episode, I'd say Lost City, is worth enduring the season's many missteps. Lost City has everything. The team, great mix of drama, humor, action, character development. It's one of SG-1's finest episodes. I agree with a lot of this. Rachel500 says, I'm going to go with Heroes because it's just an outstanding piece, even with its flaws. I love Heroes as a concept. The external viewpoint of the reporter and his camera team looking into the work of the SGC and the hostility of the team to being examined and put under the microscope. Part 2 never quite works as well for me, with too much time given to the tease of who died. But the stark impact of Jan's death is emotional for both the characters and the audience. And 666 Start Over says, Lost City has it all. A mix of humor, emotions, action, and an epic story. In seasons 6 through 8, we don't see a lot of the team together like it used to be. And this episode stands out for me. We see the team go on a mission together, and from the start, there are great team moments. And of course, the great special effects in the fight scene may be the best of its kind in the whole franchise. The battle over Antarctica. I mean, yeah. you can't... You can't top it, I think, as far as as far as far uh, space battles and, and visual effects go. Well, I thought the battle over Antarctica was rather brief, frankly. Afterwards, I felt a little bit cheated. And then yeah. Robert Cooper does this amazing thing in Avalon Part 1 and shows it in all of its glory. Mm-hmm. And I felt, with Cameron Mitchell and the introduction of his character, I felt absolutely reinvigorated with that because I saw everything that I wanted to see from the battle over Antarctica when it was reshown at, in the beginning of uh, season nine. Yeah, so, and that never happens, you know, that, that's, that kind of thing is never revisited, but because they decided to show it in a different perspective, I was like, Oh yeah, now we're getting to the good stuff. That's a good point. Okay. Now let's go back to the beginning and talk about Jonas. Hi, this is Paul or old cash 47 again. For my favorite Season 7 episode, as much as I want to pick the obvious choice of Lost City, I'm going to say Fallen. This was an episode that slowed down galactic events established in full circle and took the time to tell a personal story. Then it went right back on the galactic track with the space battle to destroy Anubis's superweapon. It's far from perfect, but it's solid. You've told me that you uh, really felt that Jonas's departure was like, let's get him out the door as quickly as possible. I like Jonas's character arc over the course of Meridian and Season 6. Uh, the two-parter Fallen and Homecoming that kicks off this season uh, takes him to a nice place. He's kind of the hero, and he's, he's bringing uh, a little bit of wisdom back to his home planet and uh, basically telling them these three governments that have been feuding, we've, we've got to get together because there are bigger problems out there. It's nice that he ends up being invited back, and he's, his, he's a major significant figure in this, this uh, United Nations of his world. But yeah, that, that departure, especially the farewell scene at the end of Homecoming, I felt like 
you know, Jonas looked like he wanted to stick around and felt like because Daniel was back, there was not room for him. And the general atmosphere of the farewell scene was don't let the iris hit your ass on the way out. Yeah, I don't think that the writers wanted to achieve that. But I think with the performances, I think that's kind of what happened because I don't think any of those those casts wanted that guy to leave. Uh, I think they really liked him. And I, maybe I maybe I'm wrong, but but by the performances, it felt really like there was a, a rope through the Stargate, pulling him out of the gate room and back to back to uh, Langara. And uh, yeah, a pretty decent opening, a pretty decent two part or fallen and homecoming. I mean, a lot of visual effects, Daniel naked, you know, you can't beat that. And uh, I really like uh, how they pair Daniel and Jonas together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, take that opportunity because of all the animosity that has occurred uh, through fandom uh, over that the course of that last year. Yes, let's put these guys together and let's show them working together and not squabbling. Uh, man, you can see through that, but it made some great TV. I thought that they worked well together. It was fun because for the last entire year, Jonas was the replacement. Corin yeah. Nemec was the replacement actor. Yeah. Uh, and and a lot of people just love, love Michael Shanks and Daniel Jackson. He was fundamental to what Stargate was about. So, you know, I wish that, that they would have done it a little bit differently by, by having Jonas exit as Daniel was coming back really kind of sealed his character as, well, he was the replacement for Daniel while Daniel was gone. Yeah. If yeah, they would have kept they couldn't him around have a few more episodes, yeah. for a few more episodes, you know, send him out in episode four or episode five with a little bit of overlap and confusion over, do I have a, a role on this team now that Daniel's back? Uh, have a five-man team? O'Neill and Hammond are not quite sure what to do with five people for SG-1. Uh, I think it would have been better, but it's Monday morning quarterbacking. A very similar thing happened in season nine with Claudia Black. You know, she comes in to replace Amanda Tapper little while and their episodes overlap once she did such a good job in season nine that they decided to bring her back full-time in season 10 which did not happen with corin yeah corin does come back and let's skip ahead and talk about fallout i just rewatched this one this week you know jonas when he leaves is a little bit i don't know i want to say weak thinner almost no weak in terms of you know he doesn't really have control of his own destiny he's being called back to Kelowna which has been renamed Langara now and he, he kind of has to go he doesn't really have a place on earth anymore and once we see him a few months down the road in Fallout he's he's settled and he's comfortable and he's he's in charge of what he's doing and he has a girlfriend and uh, wants to save his planet and he's got the longer hair and he's wearing the the Kelownan garb and and I just loved seeing him come back for this. A lot of political squabbling and Jack and Teal get fed up and, and leave. And that's uh, it's, it's basically the core with the ship uh, that uh, digs into the into the, the Lingaran crust and, and terminates this this new spawning cycle of of uh, of Nequadria. What I like about Fallout is that Jonas feels comfortable and happy and that uh, this this really interesting plot twist when his girlfriend turns out to be a ghoul. Fragile Balance, Michael Welsh, one of my favorite young actors. Uh, that kid is great. I've had the pleasure of interviewing him a couple of times, and he can do Richard Dean Anderson. Yeah, he gets those those little mannerisms and idiosyncrasies down really well, I think. Great twist with an Asgard that is not a good guy. Um, mm-hmm. Loki? A rogue Asgard named Loki. Um and it's a mischief. Something's wrong, and we have to uncover what has happened in order to to fix the problem. But the boy really is Jack O'Neill, and 
it was a great excuse to get Richard out of uh, the main body of the episode. Uh, very well done. Yeah, I like Fragile Balance. Um, not one of my favorites. Kind of a middle of the road for me, but uh, it has a lot of cool elements. Michael Welsh does a great job. Uh, I love seeing the Asgard stuff at the end when, yes. when Loki gets in trouble. And, I was always uh, hoping that they would have brought this this character back. I mean, he's another he's a second Jack for crying out loud. First episode that was shot this season, I believe. I think they filmed it first for scheduling reasons. And what this episode starts to to pull back the curtain on is the fact that in season seven, Richard Dean Anderson decides that he wants to to go the next step and reduce his time even more. He'd started to reduce his time in season six, as we talked about a few weeks ago. So there are episodes like Smoke and Mirrors where Jack is kind of at the beginning and a little bit in the middle and then at the end. Um, but he's not part of the team that's driving the action. Or Nightwalkers, where he's out of it altogether. And they've actually yeah. written it as a plot point. Yeah, yeah. So in Season 7, this is kind of to the next step, and then we'll see it go even further in Season 8 before RDA finally leaves the show in Season 9. But uh, this is this is Season 7 is, is the point at which Jack is still here, he's still the leader of SG-1, and we are, uh, the writing team is deliberately trying to craft stories in which Jack is gone. Or in the case of Fragile Balance, Richard Dean Anderson is gone, but Jack is here. So we'll see as we go through. Uh, there are, I mean, he's in a lot of them. I mean, this is not season eight and the beginning but of season But he's not nine. front and center. Oftentimes he's just walking through the halls and, and say, saying occasional things, which is even more so in season eight where he, he is mainly on the base. Yeah, but just look down the list and you'll see examples like Enemy Mine. Well, he's in it, but it's kind of it's a, an episode that focuses on Daniel and then Jack gets injured and then he's out of it. Yeah. Uh, Space Race focuses on Sam. Jack has things to do, but he's not in the A story. Avenger 2.0, same thing. He's he's off on a different planet. Orpheus, he's uh, up on a ridge. Yeah, that's true. And then Grace is the episode that focuses almost entirely on. Yeah, Sam, Sam alone on a ship. It seems like through every episode, except for like revisions where it's it's um, it's really a team group episode. It seems like every episode, the question they had to raise was, "Okay, where are we going to stick him this time?" Uh, and the color of the show paint was painted differently, as far as I'm concerned, because I was at the very I was I was very aware of all the political machinations going on at this at this point in the show, and I was very aware of it, and it changed my viewing. It was like as soon as as soon as Jack would come on screen, it was like okay, start the clock. You know, let's uh, we don't have him for too many minutes, so this is his scene mm-hmm. right here. Start the clock, and uh, it really colored my viewing. It did mine too. It it really felt like uh, you were you were waiting for that that plot device. Either Jack was going to get injured, Jack was going to go on vacation, Jack <laughs> was going to go off world. Uh, there was something coming. Yeah. Eight times out of ten. But Orpheus is one of my favorite episodes of season seven. I like this one a lot. And what Orpheus does really well, I think, is is the positive counterbalance to less Jack means the writers focused on the other members of the team much mm-hmm. more. So uh, Orpheus focuses very much on Teal'c. And it secondarily, is an excellent Teal'c episode. Secondarily, also on Daniel, as Daniel is trying to remember what uh, what he was doing when he was an ascended being. Mm-hmm. And uh, both of these guys are trying to come to terms with who they have become now. Mm-hmm. Daniel is, has become mortal again, and Tilk is still trying to deal with who he is on Tritonin without his symbiote. Both of these are plot threads that are 
excellently fulfilled in this episode. You know, when 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 they started off the season, I'm sure they asked themselves, okay, Daniel was ascended last year. Silk just lost his symbiote. We must answer these stories. Uh, and this episode does that in many ways. It is a good show. Yeah, but they didn't have to, you know. Those are plot points that have sort of been resolved, okay? Tilk is on Tritona now. Okay, Daniel's back. We could just go on and do the next adventure. But they stopped and, and did a, a story that has a lot of action, uh, but they did it as a character story. Hi, this is Clifton from Springfield, Missouri. As far as my favorite episode goes, I'm a bit odd. It's uh, Revisions, the first Stargate episode I had ever seen after seeing the movie in theaters back in October of 94. I had just got satellite TV, and I found out there was a sci-fi channel and a TV show about Stargate. <laughs> Naturally, I was intrigued. So yeah, Revisions was the first episode I saw. I can still remember seeing the teaser. And while it's far from the best of the season, it'll always be my favorite for that reason. How about Revisions? This was, this was a, an attempt at a really classic team episode. SG-1 goes off-world, gets into trouble, gets out of it, and goes home. And as far as that point goes, it was very well done. Ending was predictable, in my opinion. Uh, I, I never felt that there was a lot of jeopardy in it. You know, they're walking towards them, and Jack has his gun up, and they're walking towards him, and then, and then Sam and Palin flip the switch, and mm-hmm. all is well again. And it doesn't have a lot of character development for our team. It's just them trying to deal with this, this uh, link on this other planet. Very otherworldly. You know, they're inside this bubble. It's Vancouver. Uh, great uh, location shooting, great guest actors. The result of that that location and, and some of the, I mean, even just the costuming, they had those those bright, brilliant red... Yeah, the suits. Hazmat suits. Yep. That, but, I think uh, that was the first episode that those were introduced, wasn't it? They were, yeah. This, so visually, I think this episode is striking and very interesting. Yeah. But yeah, when you have a title like Revisions and you introduce this, this uh, element of the, the computer implant the yeah it's not a skynet it's just it's just doing what it has to do to survive so a very interesting idea that i think was was executed uh not to its full potential i think i would have changed a couple of things about it but it's a good show yeah it's a good show it's kind of a classic science fiction premise and a classic sg1 team episode and for those reasons it's good uh it's also not terribly uh original or or uh and it's also easy to predict, I think. But but still, I liked it. Lifeboat and Enemy Mine, the, the Michael Shanks episodes of the first half of the season. One, in my opinion, ex- extremely successful. The other, in my opinion, not so much. I just watched, rewatched Lifeboat. Michael Shanks does an excellent job. Good, because I just rewatched Enemy Mine. There you go. Then you can talk about that one. Michael Shanks is an excellent performer. He does a great job portraying all of these different personalities. 100% believable. Uh, the story was compelling and interesting. You know, I just recently watched Knowing, so the, they, they talk about this planet being destroyed by a solar flare. Uh, it was very, very well done. And uh, it, I liked it much more uh, more recently that I've that I've watched it than I did the first time that I did. Another Brad Wright episode. Those two men, Brad and Michael Shanks, put together are exceptional. This was the really great example early in season seven of why we love Michael Shanks and why we loved having him back on the show. Because yeah. the the dude's got chops. I mean, that guy can act, and his his uh, some of it could be ridiculous. He's kind of playing a, a, a dictator, and then yeah. he's playing a little kid. And he could be really over the top and and just kind of silly. And instead, his performances are are really spot on and yeah, powerful. And you're when he into does, it because of that. When he does that little kid at the end of the episode, 
uh, and you know the little kid's consciousness basically has to just be downloaded into his crazy dad's brain. Um, you know that that chokes me up still. And what about Enemy Mine? Enemy Mine is uh, one Unos episode too many. You either like Unos episodes or you don't. I loved the first ones, so I was expecting to enjoy this one. And um, Dion Johnson not coming back as Chaka was really hard for me to swallow because Patrick Curry has very specific mannerisms and they just did not translate into Chaka for me. Yeah, Chaka made a, made a difference. Um, all props to Patrick Curry for the work he did. I think that the makeup job, the prosthetics, made Chaka look different. I had a hard time believing that he was even the same character. But, um, I mean, you either like Unas episodes or you don't. Just like in, in uh, the 1990s Star Trek series, you either like Klingon episodes or you don't. Usually yeah. when Worf got his episode, I kind of tuned out. Some of them were great, but uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I just wasn't terribly fascinated by the culture. The Unos are the same way. Um, I like Enemy Mine because Daniel gets to be very Daniel uh, when faced with a colonel who, you know, he's, he's had years to break in Jack O'Neill. Now he's got this, this new guy who's mm-hmm. uh, the, the old school military guy. And he's got to break him in, and and uh, they're they're desecrating the Unas sacred ground basically by mining on this planet, where the Unas used to be slaves to the Gould. Daniel's role in this is good. This is also the first episode where we see Major Lorne. Exactly. This is Cavan's introduction, and then they brought him back uh, two or three years later mm-hmm. for Atlantis. Space Race is one uh, that has some amazing visual effects but again for me it's another by the numbers kind of middle of the road kind of uh an episode you know a lot of a lot of uh, shows were, were doing these kinds of things at this point star Tre- star trek voyager had a, had a racing episode and that one they didn't win either um so uh, it was it was good it was fun it was a great sam show you know some amazing special effects well here's another example of of a an alien under prosthetics who had to be recast. Yeah, uh, Dion would have gotten that one again. Warwick was Dion Johnstone again, same guy who played Shaka, and uh, they recast him, and it was Alex, Alex Sahara. Is that right? Sahara, who's, who's played a ton of characters yeah. in Stargate, and uh, he's he's a great actor, but it it still it was not quite the same character. Once you get over that, and, okay, it's it's a Serakan who is friends with Sam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's fun. It's got some nice visuals. It's very different for Stargate. Yeah. Uh, and it's got a lot of, of nice elements. Tilk running around in this, what I think looks like a bellhop's uniform. <laughs> it's yeah. pretty funny. But, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of, uh, okay. This Space Race and Avenger 2.0 are, are elements of, of Season 6 that brought back to see if they could do a second part and perhaps a third part in them the following season. But the second part definitely had them both peter out. Avenger 2.0, I don't like this episode. I do not like the character of Jay Felger. And, you know, putting the, using the jelly donut to erase the whiteboard, I mean, come on. The Barbie dolls and putting on the pants backwards and, and while Sam is in the house, I, I, I cringe watching this again. And I just did not care for this episode. Well, did you like the other guys when his character was first introduced? I liked John Billingsley. I watched the other, I watched the other guys to this day because of John Billingsley. I like the character of Simon Coombs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they didn't bring him back in this one. Nope. No, he was doing the Enterprise. But they get Jolene in the next one. 
Yeah, I got to... Uh, I'm sorry, but I got to agree with you. Avenger 2.0 is, I think, the low point of the season. I like the attempt at doing the alternate perspective, the Lower Decks SGC character, but Felger doesn't work. I don't know if anything can save Avenger 2.0. <laughs> but uh, I don't know what to say other than, thank goodness, they decided to let let it rest and not try and yeah. do a third one. Birthright. I Jolene Blaylock. Yes, is a pretty woman. This was nice, I think, if you're into mythology like I am, because there had been kind of hints throughout the series that Jaffa women can do more than just sit at home and raise Primta. And, and be priestesses. And be priestesses, uh, like Shonok was in yeah. season four. But uh, we'd never really seen uh, warrior women, so the, the hawk teal was great, because not only was it a tribe of warrior women, but they were on our side. They were... Yep rebelling against the Gould. Yeah, they wanted to form an alliance with us. And Jolene Blaylock plays that fantastically. You know, she only wants to talk with Sam. Jack O'Neill has an excellent line there. I think I spewed something out of my mouth while I was drinking while I was watching that one. And then you've got elements like Tritonin is... Uh, they could have thrown away Tritonin, frankly. They could have said, okay, Teal can Problem break solved. attack or safe now. Problem solved. We don't have to deal with this symbiote maturing. It's, we're just moving on. We we decided that we didn't like that part anymore mm-hmm. of, of the Jaffa mythology. So we came up with a fix and we're moving on. They didn't do that. They made Tritonin uh, a story arc yep. for Teal'c and for the Jaffa people. Uh, and it really kicks off with Birthright when SG-1 attempts to share Tritonin, attempts to, to uh, convert these people. And they don't all survive in the attempt. I like that a lot. I like the, the sexual tension. Teal'c is, is uh, finally... finally getting a little bit after the death of his wife over a year earlier evolution the two-parter uh fountain of youth mythology and uh honduran a, a visit to south america either you agree that it works or it doesn't work with with joel changing the music to some very south american music and some south american plants that they inserted into the vancouver forest uh, i just rewatched this one and uh i i, I continue to like it i don't love it but I like it. Um, you know, they were introducing a foot soldier, uh, one of the earlier attempts of making something very dangerous and unbeatable and unbeatable, and then later solving it with a with a god from machine type of device that we've created. Some neat visual effects in this one. Some great character development from Michael Shanks. We see a little bit of Jack O'Neill's backstory through Burke. It's got a little bit of everything. It's got it's up, got both Carmen and Tony back as as Jacob and Braytech. I love the episodes where those two are in it together because those I think have always been the main satellite actors of the show. Oh yeah, this is I think this is only the second episode that features both of them. Yeah, exactly. Allegiance. They've always traded off with one another. I think this is this is one of the weakest two parters that SG One ever did. Yes, I agree with honest. that. I agree I, with that. I like the the Cole Warriors a lot. I mean, they're just cool sci-fi baddies. The the Jaffa had become so easy to kill. The point well, your gun at an army of Jaffa, and yeah, they're yeah. not evil anymore. We're we're trying to convert them. They're they're slaves. Uh, or if you watch the new recut of Children of the Gods, literally you can throw rocks at them. Yeah, and they will fall over. Uh, mm. The super soldiers are awesome and they're badass. And I wish. Uh, We'll talk about this in a minute in a few episodes. I wish they had not not uh, found their vulnerabilities so quickly uh, mm. because they were they were cool in this. They were absolutely unstoppable. We just happened to luck out 
that one of them died of a heart attack. What I like about the two-parter is all the Cold Warrior stuff and having Jacob, you know, do an autopsy with Sam on the Cold Warrior body and learning what these things are. Mm-hmm. And the the principle of these things and how Anubis had genetically engineered them, I, I think, was, was brilliant. It's a bit convoluted for a casual viewer to yeah. really understand what's going on with a blank slate symbiote. Yeah. But um, that's cool. And then the off-world mission in part two where, where Jacob and Braytac... Uh, join Sam and Teal'c to go and they get inside of a, one of Anubis's bases and they see this army and you know that stuff's cool I still uh, don't buy that visual effect every time I see it they, uh, when the super soldiers line up they're, yeah. they're a little bit too perfect yeah but that's, that's being really dicky with the details but to, but to this day one of my greatest favorite visual effects is the ring transporter uh, exiting the uh, the call warrior out of the ship then, yeah. and then the ring's just flipping away I, I love yeah, that that was great that's a great visual effect but all the Central America stuff with Daniel and Dr. Lee and the rescue up I, I don't like it at all I've never felt so alive I think it's boring I think that you know Jack never really opens up to this guy so yeah. it's not like uh, his confrontation with Cromwell uh, where they finally come to loggerheads at the end of the episode. That really doesn't happen here with Burke. Uh, and then meanwhile, okay, we have a mustache-twirling ethnic v- uh, villain who is saying, oh, I will torture you if you don't tell me what I want to know. I don't like it. Man, oh man, Grace. This is maybe the single most disappointing episode of the series for me. It's a unique one for sure. I, yeah, it is. I heard about this one when you first mentioned it to me, Sam being trapped in in the ship. And, I, man, I was so looking forward to this one. I, I cannot tell you how much I was I was looking forward to, to this one. What later became uh, Grace Under Pressure on uh, on Atlantis is what I was hoping for this, for this episode. And the entire time, Sam is just so tired, and I'm so tired, and... And things that are not really happening around me, and I'm so tired. I'm so disappointed in that. I was hoping for so much more. And one of the really big things that ticked me off about it was was I had just started the Omnipedia, and I was so excited about seeing this new advanced alien race. And they don't even let us. <laughs> they don't even name it. And so I can't. Yeah. I can't put it in the Omnipedia. I mean, what, what is it? The Grace Aliens? Let's let's chalk that alongside the medieval Christian lizard. I mean, come on. Christian lizard. I love that. Remember? One. Remember? The lizard who knows Jesus Christ is his personal savior. <laughs> We're talking about uh, in in season three, the episode Demons. There was a really cool looking computer generated lizard for a planet that has no name. So we were. Yeah. Like, so this medieval Christian lizard, <laughs> this alien spaceship that gets caught in the nebula with the Prometheus is really cool looking. And and we never see it again. We never find out who it was, which is I mean, it's kind of nice. It helps the universe yes. feel a bit full. Yes. That there are advanced species out there that we never meet and will never meet again, possibly. But uh, yeah, when you're trying to make an Omnipedia and you're trying to come up with a name for that ship, I mean, people still bring up that ship to this day. We just, for the Friday Five, we just did Sweet Alien Ships, and people were suggesting that that ship ought to have been on the list, which, yeah. you know, it, it was a really cool design. Grace was interesting in that they tried to do something different. They did one main cast member wandering around the sets yeah. with a head injury, really tired. Uh, and it was kind of psychological. She was seeing visions of her friends yeah. that were trying to communicate something to her. And at the end of the day, it just doesn't really do it for me. I think Amanda did a great job acting with what she was given, but I, I just I just didn't care for the script. This next one here it has my favorite guest actor 
mm-hmm. uh, for the show of all time, Anna Louise Plowman in Chimera. And I was also very dis- – this is a season of disappointments for me except for some shining, bright shining episodes. I was very disappointed when her arc was relegated to the B-plot. In my opinion, it's a B-plot. You could, you, can, you could think it's a pair of shared A-plots, but I think it really is the B-plot uh, when they resolve it real quick. Osiris comes back, and what, is, what does she do here? Remind us. She is on a mission for Anubis to see if she can uncover the location of the lost city in Daniel's mind. Chimera is, I think, the example par excellence of what Season 7 is for me. When I look back on Season 7, I see a lot of great story ideas that were not quite fully executed to my satisfaction. Um, So so you get fantastic ideas that result in in good episodes or fine episodes. Uh, This picture that they released uh, with Chimera of Daniel sleeping and Osiris is leaning over him right in his face, and they're both wearing the the Tok'ra memory recall Uh devices on their temples. That image is so striking as, as to what the episode is, and, I, man, I just love it. And I love the premise that she's using this technology to dig inside his brain when he's sleeping. Uh, and then during the day, she's hiding out uh, on Earth. On She's got a cloaked ship in orbit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it, it almost felt like the B-plot. I, I, was, I was happy to finally see Sam with, with, with someone. I was happy that the, because the Air Force was not going to allow them to have a relationship in the show... Um, the Air Force said that yeah, you want us to participate in this. Don't put them, but don't put Jack and Sam together. It's nice that they gave Sam someone. Yeah, and I liked Pete. I liked Pete when he first came along. Yes, and David Deloise is a good actor, I think. Yeah. So I I think that was pretty well pulled off. You know, you and I have gone on and on about the Stalker Pete thing. You know, and and you made you made a fairly good point. You know, this guy's uh, this guy's a police officer. He he knows people who are. Who who have information that they cannot share, and yet he wanted to know anyway, so he pursued her until he found out what he wanted to know. Very good point there. Yeah, I think he's out of bounds. But uh, the result is he gets brought in on her secret, which opens up the possibility of her having a real long-term relationship with mm-hmm. him be be much more real. Because more she's real now open to him 100%. Yeah, also. so... I'm not crazy about how they got there with his character being a bit stalkerish, but but I like the fact that he is let in on the secret. Death Knell uh, is going to follow up on evolution. So we introduced the new super soldiers, the Cole warriors, genetically engineered by Anubis to replace the Jaffa, who are weenies. <laughs> we learn in evolution that the super soldiers are absolutely unstoppable. Mm-hmm. And in Death Knell, which is one, two, three, four, Five, four episodes later, we stopped them. Yeah, absolutely unstoppable should have been our first clue. Same thing with the priors. This has been my big complaint about the latter half of SG-1, and many people know it. Let's invent the technological answer to solve our problem instead of creating an enemy, a nemesis, and embedding a natural solution to solving them by, oh my gosh, wow, that was I didn't even see that one coming. That's perfect. Like with the Borg, their Achilles heel is the thing that they take for granted so much. Their interdependency is also what can bring their downfall. That's what always goes back to me with Best of Both Worlds for Next mm. Generation. Yeah. I was just rewatching the Matrix trilogy recently, and the unstoppable enemy is kind of how the agents are portrayed in the first part of the first film. Yeah. And it was a huge, huge uh, part of the climax of the film when Neo did not run when Neo turned around and faced the unstoppable enemy. 
and I would have loved for the Cole Warriors to go for a year or two as utterly unstoppable. And every time we saw them, we we ran and ran yes. as fast as we could. You know, tried to come up with a, a technology to to defeat them and and didn't do it and got our butts handed to us time and time again until you reach that climax. But again, they are finishing this show with season seven. To their knowledge, they are finishing this series. Yeah, that's true. Maybe that's the reason they did it. But it's, it's again, it's another disappointment. I think the Cold Warriors are really cool. And uh, they would continue to put them to good use in Lost City and in Season 8 uh, episodes like Avatar. They were not the super unstoppable bad guys mm. that they were created to be. Michael Shanks' episode, Resurrection, what do you think of it? Michael Shanks wrote Resurrection and Amanda Tapping directed it. So this is kind of a family episode. Great guest performances. Brad Greenquist brings something to the table that is so cool. He's disturbing. Uh, he's really Hannibal Lecter. Kristen Dalton plays Anna. Yes. Yeah, the the guest acting was was very good in here, and and uh, Peter Fleming comes back as Agent Barry. Yes. Uh, uh, Bill Dow as Doctor Lee is in here now. Season seven, he's he's getting a much bigger role. He was introduced all the way back in season four. Resurrection is it's it's a good middle of the pack episode for me. I think it's a nice solid story. It's it's a nice Earth based team episode that that also involves the Gould and, and the SG-1 mythology. It was the last episode of, of the season that was shot. It was designed to be very ex- inexpensive. I think there, I believe there is one visual effect in the entire thing with the fire. I thought it was interesting. I thought the ending was predictable. Uh, I mean, you've got the bomb that you have to, that you have to defuse and you have the Gould that's going to kill her master. And uh, I think the only really surprising thing is that she didn't get away in a hidden spaceship. They killed her dead. Yeah. So it, it's a good show. It yeah. is is a good effort by Michael Shanks as the as the writer. I rewatched Inauguration the other day, and when you get good actors, even if you have a mediocre script, they can elevate it a little. Inauguration mm-hmm. was a good script, in my opinion. This might be my favorite clips show that that Stargate ever did. It shows that when you do clip shows, you don't have to use excessive numbers of clips. If you're just in one room, say the Oval Office, you know, I'd much rather have an extended in-depth discussion going back and forth between a couple of rooms inside the White House than than 20 minutes of stuff that I've already seen before. Because this episode has a lot of internal political development that comes to fruition in Lost City in Season 8. Yeah, this is is deliberately written to be the setup for the finale. Yes. And uh, this was William Devane's introduction as the, the newly elected president of the United States. Henry Hayes, and uh, we talk a lot about wanting to see SG-1, the team, together. SG-1's not in this episode at all, Mm-mm. except for the clips. Don Davis is in it a little bit yes. as General Hammond towards the end. Robert Picardo does an excellent job as the hatchet this guy. Is, yeah, this is guest stars. This is Robert Picardo's Agent Woolsey. William Devane is the president. Uh, James McDaniel is, is General Maynard. And Ronnie Cox is Kinsey's in here. And these guys together... Uh, just the guest stars getting together in a room, they, they do a bang-up job, and the envelope, uh, all the additional material that's not the clips, that holds all the clips together, is really significant. The setup for Lost City is really nice. We get to know who the president is. He's got an agenda. It's not Kinsey's agenda. Kinsey is running around in Lost City with a, an agenda of his own, trying to get Dr. Weir on his side. But uh, we've got this new president who's cleaning house. He's, he basically suspends operations at Stargate Command and reassigns General Hammond eventually. So what'd you think of season seven? 
Season 7 is, uh, as we were talking about, it's a whole lot of good ideas that, that were not quite executed to their potential, in my opinion. Episodes like Space Race, uh, which, which has a, a cool premise that's, that's kind of been done a lot. I mean, a lot of, of TV shows at this point were, I think, using springboarding off the idea of the pod race in Star Wars Episode 1. Evolution and and the new bad guy and then the the new bad guy being not so significant. Osiris returning but not really having all that much to do. The irony about season seven, which uh, a number of fans on the forum thread have pointed out, is that some of the best episodes of the series are in season seven. Heroes and Lost City stand out as some of SG-1's finest hours. And that's four episodes in this season. Top of my list is Lost City for sure. Bottom of my list is Avenger, and Avenger is very near the bottom of the list, I think, for the entire series. Mm-hmm. So it's a season of highs and lows, a season of some some great ideas that were not, not quite realized. Uh, but I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. Looking back on this season, you know, I had a lot of expectations for this year. I was just getting into bed with you for a lot of the cool things behind the scenes. I was starting to up my contributions for Gateworld, and I was starting to learn a little bit more about the show, uh, starting to learn just how much I hated spoilers. This season was the first season where I really started analyzing the show. I'm going to give the season a 5 out of 10. Well, that's what we thought of Season 7. Thanks to everybody for writing in and calling in to contribute to this week's discussion. We'll be back with Season 8 in just a couple of weeks. We've got another topic for next week. Uh, But first, we have one other piece of listener voicemail to hear. Yeah, this is Mark from Columbus, Gate Mark from the Gate World Forums, calling in regarding relationships. And I might as well tackle the, uh, the biggie, Jack and Sam. When I first watched Stargate, when it was airing, during the first few seasons, I remember being impressed that Jack and Sam seemed to have this professional relationship and that it was built on just teamwork ability and they didn't really go moonlighting with it. As they started to kind of hint at relationships, it seemed wrong. Kind of, I picture Jack and Sam more like a big brother and the brainy little sister that he's kind of protective of. A romance just didn't seem right. Thanks, Mark, for your message. Next week's topic, Mr. David. What do you think would happen to you, body, mind, and soul, if you stepped through the Stargate? What would happen to you if the Stargate were real in real life uh, and you didn't have some writer creating things, fabricating things for you? uh, What do you think would really happen to you if you stepped through the Stargate? The emphasis, I think, is on the mind and the soul part here because everybody can give the the canon explanation of what happens to your body being demolecularized and transformed into energy and, and... you know, we don't need the Sam Carter explanation of what happens to your physical flesh. What do you think happens to your mind, your consciousness, your soul? That's uh, Demolecularizing Your Soul, our topic for July 29th. We'll also hear David's report from Comic-Con, which is this coming week. Which is a convention all about commas. The big punctuation convention <laughs> for writers. I wish I could go to Comic-Con. But there's another good... Semicolon con is not bad. <laughs> That's out here on the East Coast. It's not as big, but uh, we're going to come back and talk about SG-1 Season 8 as we march through our Stargate History series. And then on August 12th, this is an interesting question, should the Stargate program be public? I like that topic, and uh, even though the topic is phrased in the form of a question, that is not this week's listener question, so stew over it for a couple weeks. Think about it. Well, that's everything we've got for this week. Thanks once again for giving us your hour. 
In this episode, we talked about Season 7 of Stargate SG-1. Thanks again to everyone for contributing to that discussion. We gave you a preview of our interview with Christina McQuarrie. That'll be up on the site in just a few days. And head over to GateWorld.net if you want to see any links to know what the heck it was we were talking about when we mentioned this character or that episode. Everything is listed and linked in the episode 52 show notes. We always appreciate your feedback. You can give us a call on the hotline, get your pretty voice on the show at 616-712-1647. And you can uh, leave us a message in the podcast feedback thread in the GateWorld forum. You have to have a free account to sign up for that. From GateWorld, this is Darren. This is David. And we'll see you back here next week. Thank you.